small tree emergency. We were able to fix it. Glad to have you here with us here today at, of course, again, Church on Main Street and Church Online. Thank you for taking the time to tune in. Thanks for taking the time to risk coming here. So now as we prepare our hearts to celebrate the birth of our Savior Jesus in this Christmas season today, we're starting. We're launching into a new message series called The Gift. Uh, And over the next three weeks, we're going to be looking at three different gifts that some wise men gave to Jesus around the time of his birth. We're referring, going to be looking at Matthew's gospel, going to be at Matthew chapter 2 to start. So if you want to turn there, you can. Let me give you a little context for Matthew chapter 2 as we start. If you don't know the story, Jesus was born in the little town of Bethlehem. How still we see thee rise? Lie. Uh, Born during the reign of King Herod, uh, some wise men, or if you have your own nativity scene collection at home, you might call them magi, this caravan traveled a great distance to come to worship Jesus, to come to find out who he was. Now, to get us focused properly on the scene, I want to put your, uh, your head in the right place. So how many wise men were there? Well, how many of you have got a nativity scene at home, right? How many of you have seen one at your grandma's house? How many of you have seen someone somewhere? I mean, you, you, you've, you've seen these things around. They show up in all kinds of different places. And don't be afraid to respond to church online. You can type in how many you think were there as well. You always see three wise men. But how many wise men were there? I mean, the Christmas carol clearly teaches us there was we, three kings, and the Christmas cards show that there are three, but how many were there for real? We don't know. I mean, we tend to think that there are three because there's three gifts mentioned. But the reality is we have no idea how many there actually were. There might have been dozens, but tradition tells us three. What we do know about these three wise men for sure is that they were highly educated. They were not just um, peasants. They were highly educated, and they were very likely incredibly wealthy, and they were desperate, crossed countries to meet the one marked by this internationally seen astrological event that might just be world-changing, life-changing, maybe the Savior of the world. So the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 2, verse 10, tells us this. When they saw the star, they were thrilled, filled with joy. 11. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasure chests and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. You guys got to help me out a little bit here. Try it again. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Right. Never once, never once at any of the births of my three boys have we received gold, frankincense, and not even myrrh. Not even one of them. Now, I'm not sure what baby shopping list from Pinterest put those down as the gifts you want. When we had babies, maybe you're like this. We got diapers, we got onesies, we got blankies, we got the ever-important snot sucker right? Very important gift. And we grew up in the area where it was blue. And you'd squeeze it, and then you gently insert it just so gently to the edge of the baby's nostril, and then open it. And then as you do that, it sucks the snot in, and then you, then you take it out, and you, and, you, and you squeeze it out into a Kleenex or something like that. But now, 
Now innovations have gone so far that if you are a really caring, loving parent, you can actually just suck the snot out yourself. That's just a really good bonding experience right there. But the wise men, not knowing what babies need, offered these three gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. These gifts were not only valuable, they were also, as we're going to see, incredibly practical. They were also deeply spiritual. Bible scholars agree that these gifts were not only useful for the family, and I'll tell you why as we go through these different episodes, but they foreshadowed some images of what Jesus would represent. Gold, valuable in and of itself, represented the kingship of Jesus. Myrrh, we're going to talk about myrrh next time, next episode. Myrrh represented Jesus as the suffering servant or the Lamb of God. Today, we're going to look at frankincense. And before I tell you the meaning of frankincense or what it's all about, I'm going to tell you a little bit about frankincense. So according to my personal panel of essential oils advisors, of which you can never have too many, uh, frankincense is a special oil. It's kind of like the Swiss army knife. Um, so I have some actually right here, and I just wanted to open it up so of course you can all get a sniff. You getting that? Church online, you can just hit the download scent button and you'll get that at home. And if you're just on the audio, unfortunately there will be no scent provided for you, but it's right here so you can smell it. The idea of the Swiss army knife means that it has lots and lots of purposes. It does a whole bunch of different things. And I do know some things about oils because of my vast experience in this world. Peppermint, I understand, is good for the stomach. It calms the stomach. Lavender, very good for giving me a headache. Fresh oil, <laughs> uh, fish oil to make the house smell really bad. These are some of the oils that are out there. But I do know something about frankincense. Frankincense oil possesses antiseptic and astringent and carminative and di a diuretic, a digestive, uterine and vulnerary, uh, vulnerary uh, therapeutic properties. And I don't know what all that means, honestly, but it's good news, right? It's just great news. Thank you so much, frankincense, for being all these things to me in the Swiss army knife of oils. Frankincense was a very expensive, practical gift. It helped heal sicknesses. It helped to treat wounds. More so, frankincense was the oil that the priests would use during the sacrifice. And they used it as it's a burning incense that would then make smoke that would rise to heaven. And the rising of the smoke to heaven symbolizes the prayers of the people rising in faith to God. And that's why Bible scholars agree that frankincense represents the priestliness of Jesus, as we're going to talk about today, Jesus, our high priest. Now, some of you probably were not raised Catholic or, or, or such, so you might be confused by right now, why would Jesus be a high priest? We're going to go a, a little bit deeper today, okay? It might be a little bit more heady, so uh, stick with me. There's your warning. Let's go. Um, there's a quiz at the end. Did I mention that part? So you have to pay attention because there's a quiz at the end, and if you don't pass the quiz, you can't leave. And so it's really important for you to pay attention so you know that. And that might not be entirely true, but Jesus is our high priest. Uh, the priest in Israel served one big primary role, 
And that was broken down into two functions. So the big rule, the priest would be the representative of the people before God. First, the priest made sacrifices for the forgiveness of sin. So as the priest, he would take a clean, innocent, unblemished animal and then sacrifice it to represent the forgiveness of the people's sin. And then secondly, the priest prayed prayers on behalf of God, on behalf of the people to God. He represented the people to God. And so in both these things, that's what he's doing. Sacrifices and the prayers. Sacrifices and the prayers. And we're going to start with the sacrifices for our sins. Since the very moment in the Garden of Eden, Eve sinned against God, there have been two opposing forces. The holiness of God and the sinfulness of mankind. Holiness of God and the sinfulness of mankind. Now, admittedly, in our culture today, a lot of people don't want to say that we actually sin. They don't like that word. It offends some people. They might say that I made a mistake. Uh, honestly, it's a mistake. Who's going to tell me that I sinned? It was just a mistake. I mean, if it feels good, do it, right? What's good to me is true to me. You just do you, all right? And that's pretty popular now. But honestly, whatever words you use, that's always been pretty popular. What, what you do is your life. It's your life, so it can't be sin. It's you. One person said that sin is just a very uh, outdated term to trick children into being good. In other words, who needs sin when you've got an elf on the shelf, right? The elf can tell you when your kids are doing uh, bad things, and then we can send that message off to Santa who's making his list. He's checking it twice. He's going to find out who's naughty and nice. Here's the challenge. We have to understand the reality of sin because there's the holiness of God and the sinfulness of mankind. And if we don't understand the holiness of God, we will always have a casual approach to sin. Whatever. So until we understand what it truly means that God is holy, we will never realize the cost of the tragedy of what sin does to us. God is holy, the holiness of God. What does it mean that God is holy? Well, the word holy comes from a Greek word. I mean, it's agios, which means uh, separate or other. What is God? God is transcendently separate. Our God is perfect in every single way. He is flawless. He is pure. There is no fault. There is no wrong, no stain in Him. Our God is transcendently other. He is separate. He is perfect. And so we need to understand that holiness isn't just one of the attributes of God. Holiness is the perfection of all of his attributes. God is love and his love is holy. His power is holy. His grace is holy. His mercy is holy. His justice is holy. In his holiness, his otherness, his separateness, his purity that, it's, it's, it's all those things that makes him worthy of our praise. When we sing songs to him, that's why he deserves it. Our God is holy and our challenge is, we're not. None of us are, not a single one of you. Not you, you, not you. 
Not you, not that really nice person at work, and certainly not me. Scripture teaches us that every single one of us, we've all sinned, we've all done something wrong, we've all fallen short of God's standard, and sin breaks our intimacy with the holy God. This is why God hates sin, because it's everything that he is not. It's the opposite of his holiness. It disrupts our intimacy, his fellowship with us, and sin separates us from God. And it breaks our life, and it destroys our life, and therefore, because of breaking the relationship, God hates sin. Holiness of God, sinfulness of mankind. So the high priest in the Old Testament, one time a year, would make a sacrifice as a temporary payment for the sins of the people. It was known as the Day of Atonement, or Yom Kippur. And the priest would sacrifice an innocent animal and go into the tabernacle behind the wall, behind the veil, to the place known as the Holy of Holies. The priest would then light the frankincense, and the incense would let smoke rise, burning up into heaven, representing the cries of the people to God for mercy. And then the priest would take the blood of the innocent animal and sprinkle it on the ceremonial mercy seat. And this would symbolize the death of an innocent one in place of the guilty ones as a payment for our sins. Then, have you ever heard of a scapegoat before? You ever heard of a scape, right? This term came from this, where the priest would then take another goat, an innocent goat, confess the sins of the people onto the goat, symbolically transferring the sins onto the goat. And then they would drive the goat out into the wilderness, and sometimes they drive it right off a cliff. The, the, the first animals died as a sacrifice, paying the price for sins. Symbolically then, the scapegoat was run out of the community, symbolically showing that they had been separated. The sins had been separated from the people of God. So let me just pause for a moment here and tell you, for us, for me, that's just really weird, all right? If you've never heard this before, and you, you, you see, like, you take a beautiful little animal, cute little animal, and you slit its throat, and you drain blood into a bucket, and you pour that on a mercy seat, what is that? And then, then you pray, and, and it, come on, that just feels weird to us. We don't do stuff like that, right? Don't talk like that. This is 2021. Why are you going on about that? It just sounds a little bit off, right? Some of you are looking at me, you're a little bit nervous. You're like, it's Christmas, man. When, when does Santa start coming into this, all right? And I know it sounds off. And I know it sounds foreign. And I, and I know it even sounds weird. I get that. I know it sounds even a little bit gross. It seems entirely unfair. A little animal, a cute little animal dying in our place. Who would do that? Why would we do that? How come that happened? Here's what we have to understand. Because God is just, completely just. He must punish sin. And honest, let's be honest here. You want him to punish sin. Maybe not your sin, but you definitely want him to punish their sin, right? We all hang so much on the idea that justice will come one day, but God is not only just, he is also merciful. And here's the beauty of what God does. The sacrifice satisfies God's justice and at the same time extends mercy. It is the price that is paid, but someone else pays the price for the forgiveness of sins. 
So God's holiness, his justice is satisfied, and yet he can still extend mercy to the people that he loves so much. This sacrifice was a temporary covering under the old covenant. But we, we are not people of the old covenant. We're under the new covenant. And I want to tell you about a new and a better sacrifice. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 10, tells us a little bit about our great high priest. And his name is Jesus. And he is the Son of God. Verse 10, for God's will was for us to be made holy. But we already established we are not holy in and of ourselves, but it's God's will that we would be holy. How can this be? How are we going to do it? What's going to happen? What can I do to set this right? Desires that we would be holy by the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all time. 11. Under the old covenant, the priest stands and ministers before the altar day after day, offering the same sacrifices again and again, which can never take away our sins. 12. But our high priest, whose name is Jesus, offered himself to God as a single sacrifice for sins, good for all time. It's that story that gives us so much reason to be grateful. That's why we sing to God in thanks and in worship. We are being thankful for the gift that we have been given, and we tell that story again and again and again. It's no longer a temporary covering, but Jesus, as the high priest, offered his life, shedding his innocent blood as a covering for all of our sin satisfying the justice of God and extending mercy to God's creation, you, who he loves so much. I want to give you an image of this because uh, to help you hold it in your mind because I know it can be a little bit complicated, a little bit heady, and a little bit not in our language. So uh, there's an illustration that a young pastor named Rick, uh, Nick Harris uh, gave from a United Methodist Church. United Methodist churches, they tend to be more formal and uh, the pastors frequently wear robes in them, okay? So as Pastor Nick is telling his story, he's, he's got a photo and, and, he, and he's describing it to his congregation. You're going to have to just try and imagine that part with me. So we got Nick, he's explaining. He goes, if you'll notice my robe here for a moment, uh, there's, there's, there's no stripe on my robe. That's because I was not ordained. Uh, that was not a real pastoral robe. That was a choir robe. A choir robe that we found in the basement and the only one that I was allowed to wear because it didn't have a stripe on it. It was really bad and it smelled. It smelled to high heaven. It was horrible. And you'll notice that the other pastors are sitting on the platform in their king-sized thrones. And on the left, you'll see my junior little throne. That's for the guy with no stripe on his robe. And on that day, I was about 23 years of age or so, I, I was sitting there in my very smelly, very ugly, stripe-less robe in my little junior throne. And my pastor is preaching, and so I had my leg crossed over the other one because it looked kind of pastoral to do that. Now, what happened is that the left side of my leg started to fall asleep. And I thought, hey, let's just let this thing go. Let's see how far it'll go. And so he kind of pinches it, and it got tingly all down the side. I thought, oh, that's going to be kind of fun. 
Let's just see how that goes out. I'm a pre- pastor's preaching away. I'm having a good time, feeling the pins and needles, needles a little bit in the leg and just letting my leg fall asleep. Well, God is my witness. I served my pastor for five years. He never used me as a sermon illustration ever. And he didn't tell me it was coming except for that very moment when half of my body was numb and he asked me to stand up. You don't think God has a sense of humor? And I'm trying to stand up, so wait for it. He asked me to stand up, and so I couldn't even stand straight. I'm standing on one leg, no weight on the other leg, and he's looking at me a little oddly, but he just keeps going on with the sermon right into his illustration. And he said, is your robe a nice robe? And I'm looking at him, hey, come on, is this a trick question? If I say no, you're going to get mad at me, and it looks bad in front of everyone. I'm hunched over, and I'm kind of stalling, going, uh, uh, and he kind of shakes his head, nods his head at me a little bit, and as if to say, it's okay. And so I say, no. And he says, is it a bad robe? And I'm like, yes. Is it a really bad robe? Yes. How bad is it? It's a stinky, smelly, ugly, bad robe. But then he said, is my robe nice? Yes. Why? It's clean. It's got the stripes on it. And he says, it represents the priestly nature of the pastoral office. And then my pastor said, here's what Jesus did for us. He said, take off your filthy, smelly, unstriped robe. So I took it off. Then he took off his priestly robe and he put it over my shoulders and he said, Jesus, our high priest, sacrificed his life so he could take his robes of righteousness and cover you with his righteousness. It's not yours. It's his. So that whenever God looks at you, he doesn't see your sinfulness. He sees the righteousness of Christ. This is our high priest who gave his life, satisfying the justice of God and simultaneously extending mercy. Jesus is our great high priest. But he's not just a a, a distant savior savior that feels sorry for us, though, okay? He's he's a high priest who understands and cares. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14. So then, since we have a great high priest who, who has entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. 15. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses. For he faced all of the same testings that we do, yet did not sin. I hope you'll understand and embrace this truth that whatever you're going through, Jesus understands. He relates to our trials. He sympathizes with our pain. Whatever you're going through, right at this moment, he understands. If if you feel stressed right now and overwhelmed, in the Garden of Gethsemane, when Jesus, uh, his friends abandoned him, and, and, and he knew what was coming, he fell to the ground and he said, my soul is overwhelmed in agony to the point of death. If you face anxiety, he understands. If you deal with people in your family, people 
in your family, right? Not so people. Jesus dealt with not so people in his family. It's a spiritual principle. Every family has a little bit of not so in there. Every family does. When Jesus said, I'm the Messiah, his family says, you're a lunatic. Think about how much Jesus understands so you can know how much he cares. Jesus was conceived out of wedlock to a teenage mom. Scandalous. A sin. A crime that could have been punishable by death. He was raised in a small town where everybody whispered about him, called him that little bastard boy. Jesus lived in poverty. He was crucified. He was ridiculed. He was bullied. He was tempted by the devil again and again and again when he was at his weakest and most vulnerable, yet he did not sin. Jesus experienced the death of a close friend. He grieved the loss of family members. His dad died when he was still young. He was accused of things that he did not do. His friends betrayed him, abandoned him. Worst of all, he felt abandoned by God on the cross. He wasn't, but he felt that way. Because when Jesus, the great high priest, became sin for us, kind of like the scapegoat, he gave his life for sin. God looked away. Why? Because God is too holy to look upon sin. And Jesus cried out in agony, my God, my God, where are you? Why have you forsaken me? If you've ever felt like you couldn't quite reach the presence of God, Jesus understands. Whatever you feel, he felt. Wherever you hurt, he's hurt. He's your great high priest who sympathizes. He's not sitting in heaven going, yeah, I see that. Whoo, that sucks to be you. No, he's our great high priest who has experienced all the pain of being in a human body, all the emotion of being rejected by friends and the agony of hurting and feeling alone, feeling abandoned. Imagine, if you can, the details of our God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word became flesh. God, born in the form of a child who loves you, who cares about you. And God, in His divine providence, sent magi, sent wise men to offer gifts, prophetically declaring the nature of the role that Jesus had to come. Gold, He is our King. Myrrh, he's the suffering servant. He's the lamb of God. And frankincense, he is our high priest who would be sacrificed for the forgiveness of sins and pray prayers to our God in heaven on our behalf. This is why scripture is so, so, so important when it tells us this. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. What can you do into one? You can come boldly to him. You can come to him because he cares about you. He cares for you. He cares about you. He understands you. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy. Why? Why will you receive mercy? Because his justice has been satisfied and he extends mercy. And what will we find in our high priest? 
And we will find grace to help us when we need it most. Hope you understand. You can come to him today. Please come to him today. And you can come to him as you are. You can come boldly. You don't have to cower when you come to him. You don't have to be afraid when you come to him. You don't have to pray in King James language when you come to him. When my children come to me, their loving father, their earthly dad, well, they used to just jump into my lap. It's a little harder now because they've all grown. My lap would take a horrible beating if they all arrived at once. But God has a lap that can fit us all in. Jump in. Because we are in a relationship. We can come boldly into his presence. So today I want to give you a chance, a little gift, to spend a few moments with God in his presence. Honestly, how long has it been since you have really enjoyed lingering there? If you're hurting today, we're going to give our hurts to him. Come boldly before the throne of grace. Whether you're church online or church on Main Street, let me give you an opportunity in your way, in your style, with your words. Just go before God. Talk to Him. Heavenly Father, thank You that You have provided us with a great high priest. Jesus, who sacrificed His life for the forgiveness of our sins and who now prays for us sitting at your right hand, praying intercession for all of us today. Come on, take a moment. Just talk to him. Remember, he cares about you. He understands the details of your life. Lost loved ones, he understands. Financially, doesn't look like you've got enough to carry on. Jesus grew up poor, was forced out of his home country. He understands. Jesus is your high priest, who is our Savior. You're hurting emotionally, perhaps. Cast your cares on him, because he cares for you. He cares about you. Your high priest is also your comforter. He's been where you've been. He hurts like you hurt. He understands. You're struggling physically or, or, or someone you love has been given a bad medical report. Jesus, your high priest, bore stripes upon his back so that he could be your healer. Cry out to him. You're tired. You're exhausted. You're overwhelmed. You don't feel like you can hold it together. You're completely weak and broken. When you are weak, Jesus the high priest is your strength. He understands in your weakness that his strength is made complete. Call him. He is your high priest. What will you say?
Father, take what we have. Take what we have. Transform it into what you would give us. We trust you. So we trust you to choose wisely for us as we continue to take next steps in your direction. Continue reaching out towards us. We long to connect and stay connect, connected, to stay linked. May you shine brightly for us throughout this season. We pray in Jesus' name.